This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, today we are discussing the book of Joshua, Yoshua, book of Joshua, which is very, very topical because in this week's parashah, Lech Lecha, Hashem gives the command to Abraham Abidu to go to Eretz Canaan. And in the middle of the parasha, towards the end of the parasha, he tells Abraham, Hashem says to Abraham, he gives him a, a, a terrible prediction that gonna, the Jews are going to be uh, foreigners in a foreign land for 400 years, yeah, and they're going to become slaves. And then they're going to go out with a tremendous bounty, and uh, they're going to come here, the fourth generation is going to come here to the land of Israel, and Hashem makes a breach, makes a covenant with Abraham, and he says, the famous words, I've given this land to your seed, to your children. Your children will get this land. This is in Genesis. And it says, I give you the land to your children. From the river of Egypt, which is the Nile, to the big Herat is this, the river of Euphrates. Now, we never got this. Uh, this promise was never full yet. There was no promise. Uh, the promise was to the river Euphrates. We never inherited the land to the river Euphrates. But eventually, we're not really yearning for it, but it's going to happen. Eventually, it's going to happen. So anyway, so the land was given to us, to the children of Abraham. At that time, it was still Avram before he, his, his name was changed. And it was given to us. This is the promise that God made to Abraham. He didn't just make a, a promise. He made a covenant. He made a brit. He made a covenant. A covenant is something which is irrevocable. You cannot change it. And uh, therefore, however, however we behave, Hashem has to fulfill this promise. And Baruch Hashem we're seeing today, Hashem is fulfilling this promise again. Even though we were exiled for 2,000 years, we are getting this land back. It's amazing. Amazing that we're here today in Eretz Israel, sitting over here. I'm sitting over here in Yushalayim in my in my apartment in Yushalayim. It's like a miracle of thousands of years. We have this promise, this covenant, which uh, God gave Abraham. So, so I'm going to give you a children the land. I'm going to give you the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, which is the land of Canaan at that time. And then Hashem lists the ten nations that Hashem is going to give us to inherit the land. And Rashi says, hey, one second, we only inherited six of them. Well, what about the others? So he says that will happen in the Messianic era. The other ones will be inherited in the Messianic era. And so this is interesting. So how the book of Yeshua, book of Joshua, is connected to this week's parasha. The book of Joshua is a fulfillment, exact fulfillment of this week's parasha. This week's parasha is the promise that God gave Abraham that he's going to inherit the land of Canaan. And the book of Joshua is that fulfillment of that promise that 400 years later, from the birth of Yitzhak, birth of Isaac, the Jews are going to inherit the land of Canaan exactly 400 years later, from the birth of Yitzhak, the Joshua, Joshua fulfills this promise by going into the land of Canaan, conquering the land of Canaan. So it's very topical. This week's parasha leads right into the book of Joshua. And I'm going to go now very quickly through the book of Joshua so we'll all have a, a general idea of what the book of Joshua consists of. 
the book of Yoshua. Last week we talked about who Yoshua was, the student of Moshe Rabbeinu, who was a great military uh, general. He won different wars with Amalek and other wars. And we're going to see that he was also a tremendous faith in God, a tremendous leader on his own account. The Gemara says Moshe Rabbeinu was like the sun and Yoshua was like the moon. He was, he was a reflector of Moshe Rabbeinu's values. He wasn't as great as Moshe Rabbeinu. There's no one who could be as great as Moshe Rabbeinu in terms of being a prophet, but he was a reflector of Moshe Rabbeinu's values, tremendous values. And there's a lot of parallels. At the end of the class, I'm going to go through some of the parallels between Moshe Rabbeinu and Yoshua in their lives and the different uh, things that happened to them, which is interesting. There are at least 10 parallels between Moshe and Yoshua. But first, let's just go through very briefly the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua starts with the famous words, And it was after the death of Moshe, the servant of God. Now, it's interesting because we don't view being a servant as something which is very desirable, but the servant of God is one of the highest levels a human being can reach to subjugate one's will in front of God's will. This is a perke avot, to subjugate one's will in front of God's will. That is a true servant of God. Moshe Rabbeinu subjugated his will in front of God's will. He's a true servant of God. So when the servant of God, Moshe Rabbeinu, the servant of God, passes away, the Yom Hashem, Yoshua Nun, Hashem says to Moshe, Yoshua Nun. Misharet Moshe, the servant of Moshe, Moshe Avdimet, Moshe, my servant, died, and you are going to take the Jewish people, Kum Avoritar, and then as they cross the river Jordan, you and all the nation, to the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. So here we're seeing direct linkage between the, the promise to Abraham Avinu, this week's parasha, parasha Lech Lecha, and direct link to this uh, story of Yeshua going into the land of Israel, Hashem is now fulfilling his promise. So the promise, which was more than 400 years prior to this, is now being fulfilled. Amazing. The promise, Hashem's promise, which was given to Abraham 400 and odd years, is now being fulfilled. 414 years prior to this, he got the promise. 414 years later, we find that God's promises may take a long time to happen, but they do actually happen. So here's the final proof that the, the, the happened. This promise happens being fulfilled. In every place that your feet will tread, I've given them to you. The land is going to give it to you wherever you walk. As I spoke to Moshe, from the desert, to Lebanon, again, all the way to the land, to the river Euphrates, which never happened, we said. Call all the way to the Great Sea, which is a Mediterranean. That will be the boundaries. It's amazing. And just like I was with Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem says to Yeshua, I will be with you. Don't be weak, and I will never leave you. Be strong physically, be strong mentally. You will inherit this people to the land. So, as I swore to their fathers to give to them, here we have it direct connection to Parsha Lech Lecha. This week's Parsha, interesting. Abraham Avinu gets the promise. Hashem said, I'm going to give the land. And this promise is now going to be fulfilled in the book of Joshua. Yoshua is going to lead the Jewish people into the land of Israel. However, there's a condition be strong and be strong. 
very strong. To keep the whole Torah that I commanded Moshe, my servant, don't move away from it to the right or to the left. In all, you should be successful wherever you go. And then he says something which we say in our prayers as well. This Sefer Torah will not depart from your mouth. I will be studying Torah all the time. And he will study the Torah day and night. So it's, uh, there's an obligation every Jew based on this pasuk, an obligation from Devrei Kabbalah, which is the words of the prophets, based on this prophecy, that every Jew should study Torah as much as they can. If they have spare time, anytime the Holy Ghost says, anytime you have spare time, there's an obligation to learn Torah day and night, to fulfill what it says. And that's the secret of success. Hashem says, then you'll be successful in all your paths. And again, Hashem repeats to Yoshua Hazak Rematz. Now we know that Moshe Rabbeinu suffered tremendously in the desert with the backsliding of the Jewish people. And, uh, and Moshe Rabbeinu had to be tremendously strong. We don't find Hashem keeping to tell Moshe Rabbeinu, tell him over and over again to be strong, to be strong. However, with Yoshua, it seems Yoshua needed this moral encouragement. Hashem is, is preparing him for the tough task ahead, both the battle and uh, dealing with the Jewish people. So Hashem repeats them three times this phrase, Chazak ve'ematz, Chazak ve'ematz. Okay, good. That's the, how the book of Joshua starts off. It's a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, Yaakov. I'm going to give this land to your children. Now we see 400 odd years later, this promise is now being fulfilled. The covenant between God and Abraham, Abraham, is now being fulfilled. So Yoshua now gives the order to the marshals of the people, tell the people to prepare food, for in another three days they will be crossing the Jordan to cross over and take possession of the land. Amazing. So in three days' time. And he gets the uh, whole the tribes ready. And he also reminds two and a half tribes which settle on the east side of the Jordan, which Moshe Rabbeinu gave them, Reuven, God, and half of the tribe in Ashe. Remember your promise to Moshe Rabbeinu that you're going to fight for, on behalf of the other tribes. And you're going to go ahead of the other tribes to fight and conquer the land of Canaan. And then you can go back home to the other side of the Jordan to your wives and your children. So. First, the first stories in chapter two is Joshua now sends two spies to spy out the land of Jericho, spy out the city of Jericho. And it's interesting, Moshe Rabbeinu sent 12 spies. Yeshua learned the lesson, don't send too many spies because they have their own plans and who knows what they're going to do. Yeshua gives them very specific instructions to find out what the morale is in Jericho. What is the morale in Jericho? And they go into Jericho, and they are supported by this woman, Rahav, who is called a Zona, Rahav the Zona. Now, Zona doesn't have very good implications. Rashi explains, Zona comes with Lazun, Birkat Hamazon. Zona is an innkeeper. She was an innkeeper who gave food to everyone. Okay, that's Rashi, beautiful, simple explanation. Let's go with that. Rahav takes these two men, and she tells them that the morale in Jericho is terrible. They've heard of all the miracles of the Jewish people, and they're scared stiff that Israel is going to conquer Jericho, and they know there are no uh, resources to deal with that. God is on their side. They have no resources to deal with this. 
And then she hides the two spies for a couple of days and then she lowers them by a rope from the walls of Jericho and she saves them from being caught and they go back and they promise to save her and her family. They're gonna hang a red thread outside her house and they'll save the house from being destroyed when they conquer Jericho. So it's interesting because the Midrash says, the Gemara says in Megillah, that Joshua actually married Rahab. He converted her, she converted to Judaism, and she marries no one else except Joshua. It's interesting, she marries Yoshua, and the Talmud says that many prophets, including Hulda, the prophetess, and other prophets, some people say even Yehezkel, Ezekiel, the prophet, were descended from this union of Yoshua and Rahab. So Rahab, one of the famous converts in our history, married Yoshua, and we had tremendous, uh, amazing prophecies, prophets who uh, joined us from that union. So prophets were descended from Joshua and Rachav. So anyway, so the two spies go back to, to Yoshua, and they said to Yoshua, fantastically, it's fantastic words, Hashem has given the land into our hands, and the inhabitants of the land's hearts have melted. That's what Rachav told them. So Yeshua was tremendously encouraged. He got a fantastic report back from the spies. And these two spies contrast this. Uh, these two spies were the 12 spies who came back and said total opposite. Imagine the Jews would have been in Israel 39 years earlier if they would not have sinned on Tisha B'Av, the sin of the 12 spies, actually 10 bad spies, came back with a false report, a bad report about uh, Israel. And the Jews cried that night, which was Tisha B'Av, and that's the source of Tisha B'Av. But here we have it. These two spies gave a very good report to Joshua. No problem. All the people, the inhabitants of Jericho's hearts have melted. And not just Jericho, but the whole land of Canaan is open for us. Their hearts have melted. So Joshua gets up early in the morning. And he, the, the people journey from Shittim which were across the Jordan, and they arrive at the Jordan. And they stayed there for three days. And then he gets the message to move forward. Who's going to cross first? The Kohanim. The Kohanim are going to carry the Ark of God, the Aaron Kodesh. They're going to stand in the middle of the River Jordan. Imagine what a tremendous miracle. And this is one of the parallels to the story of Moshe. Moshe, Rabbeinu, split the Red Sea. Yoshua split the River Jordan. By the way, my grandson, one of my grandsons went uh, kayaking in the River Jordan. I asked him. Is it a big river or is it a tiny little stream? He says, oh, it's a big river. So <laughs> I was just checking. You never know. Uh, we're in the summertime in Israel. It hasn't rained for a while. And sometimes the River Jordan dries up. Well, this year it didn't dry up. It's a big river. And he had a fun time kayaking the River Jordan. Can you imagine the River Jordan, this big river, uh, is now going to split into two. And that's what happens right here. What happens is the Kohanim go first. They walk right into the Jordan River. The Jordan River splits. All the water that's coming downstream stays upstream. The river downstream keeps on going. And the miracle is it dries up, just like the Red Sea dried up. So it's the river dried up. Hashem says to Yeshua, today I'm going to make a miracle to make people revere you. People are going to say, wow, look at this. Yeshua made this tremendous miracle. Amazing, amazing. Yeshua made this tremendous miracle. Just like I made miracles with Moshe. I'm going to make miracles with you. And uh, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, 
shall stand in the Jordan. This is the law given to the Kohanim to carry the ark into the river Jordan. Oh, that's amazing. So now the ark goes in, the water is split, all the people cross, and Hashem says, take 12 stones, each tribe should take one stone and build a memorial on the other side of Jordan so that people will, in the future will see this memorial and say, wow, this is where the river Jordan split. Now, I don't know if we know where this, I don't know if anyone knows today, if anyone can let me know, send me a, a text, an email, whatever. Uh, if if you, anyone knows where this, uh, these 12 stones are. Anyway, it's interesting. These 12 stones should be set up across the Jordan. It's a place called Gilgal. I'm sure they know where the place is. I know they know where this, I don't really have these stones anywhere. Anyway, so that's interesting that there's a remember, there's a reminder on the other side of the Jordan where they crossed the river, 12 stones built up into a tower, 12 stones. So that's basically uh, the, the end of the fourth chapter. They come out the other side, a place called Gilgal, where they erected the 12 stones. And Yeshua tells the children of Israel, he says, when, you, when your children ask your fathers tomorrow, saying, what are these stones? You should tell them this is where Israel crossed the River Jordan on dry land. The tremendous miracle here, Hashem made a miracle. We crossed the River Jordan on dry land. Chapter 5, now all the uh, kings heard that uh, the Jews had crossed through the River Jordan. Again, their hearts melted even more than it was before. And they knew that God is doing miracles. And here we have a tremendous, uh, a mass circumcision, all the, all the men. This is the second circumcision. We find that Moshe Rabbeinu did the first circumcision just before the Jews ate the Paschal lamb. You're not allowed to eat the Pesach until everyone is circumcised. And that was the three days. They, they took the, the sheep on the 10th of Nisan, and it was actually brought on the 14th of Nisan. So why the wait? And the answer is the Jews were circumcised, and they were waiting to be healed to eat the Paschal lamb. Same thing over here. They crossed the River Jordan, and Yeshua is the chief Mohel. He's the chief uh, circumciser, and uh, he is the one involved in circumcising all the Jews. And then he sees a tremendous vision. He was uh, walking past Jericho, and he raises his eyes, and he sees this uh, massive human kind of man with his sword drawn. And Yoshua here looks like he's fearless. He goes up to the man and he says, on whose side are you? Are you on our side or the enemy's side? And the man says to him, no. He says, I am a commander of Hashem's legions. In other words, Hashem is fighting the war for you. I am the general of Hashem's legions, Hashem's angels. We are fighting the war. It's a spiritual battle. Hashem is fighting the war for you. You won't even have to lift a single finger. There's right Hashem. All our wars would be like that. In Israel, we would never have to lift a finger. Hashem should fight our wars. Hashem yilachem lachem. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem yilachem lachem at the Red Sea. Hashem will fight for you and you will just be quiet. You don't have to do anything. Very interesting. And so uh, now we come to the famous story of the conquering of Jericho how they, every day they would go around the whole city, they would walk around the whole city with the Ark of God first, and uh, the Kohanim, seven Kohanim, and they would blow the shofar, and uh, the troops would come behind the Kohanim, and the rear guard went after the Ark, and walk, walking and blowing the shofars, and then every day they would go around Jericho once. On the seventh day, which was Shabbat, they went around seven times, 
they blew the shofar and everyone was told to scream. All the Jewish people screamed and the walls came tumbling down. That's a famous story. And the only people they saved were Rahav and her parents and her brothers and all that was hers. They brought out all her families and placed them outside the camp of Israel. So they brought out, they saved Rahab just like they promised. They saved Rahab from Jericho. And the next city they took was the city of Ai. This is, by the way, was the only time the Jewish people have to find the idea that Jewish people did not act according to what God told them. And that's why they failed in the conquest of Ai. The first time they lost 36 men because someone from the camp of Israel had stolen property from Jericho, which Yeshua had consecrated to God for use in the Beit HaMikdash, for the Mishkan, and instead of which he took it home. And so they lost the first war with Ai. And when he admitted, then they, the second time around, they, they won the war and they conquered Ai. Okay, now we come to the famous story of the Gibbonites. Givon. They were too smart. These guys, the Gibbonites, they knew they're not going to beat the Jews. So what they did is they resorted to a ruse. And I just want to read you what they, they did. They acted with lies and they went and disguised themselves as ambassadors. They took well-worn sacks for the donkeys, well-worn cracked and split wineskins, well-worn and patched shoes on their feet, and well-worn garments on themselves, as if they came from somewhere far away. All their bread and all their provisions were dry and toasted. They went to the camp of the Jews at Gilgal, they went to Yeshua, and they told them lies. We came from a distant land. We want to seal a covenant with you. And Joshua said, sure, of course, we'll make a covenant with you. Now, this is one of the few mistakes that Joshua made, that he, instead of asking God, shall I make a covenant with them? He straight away, he believed their story and he said, sure, we'll make a covenant with you. And they told him, your servants have come from a diff- very far land for the sake of God. We have heard of his fame and all he did in Egypt. And um, our elders have commanded us to make a covenant with the Jews. And they showed him the bread, they showed him the clothes, they showed him everything's old. And Yeshua made a mistake and he made the covenant with the Gibeonites. And then after three days, they hear the Gibeonites are the neighbors right there in Israel. These Gibeonites, <laughs> they were the next in line to be conquered, instead of which they made a treaty with Israel. Now, what's Yeshua going to do? This treaty was made with a lie. And the answer is, what can we do? It's a chilul Hashem. If the Jews desecrate their treaties, it's a chilul Hashem. So Yeshua kept that treaty, and the Gibeonites converted to Judaism. They became, it says, the water drawers and the wood choppers for the Jewish people, and especially for the Mishkan, for the Beit HaMikdash, for the previous uh, temple Mishkan sanctuary. And uh, so it's interesting. Now what happens is the other Amorites heard about this treaty, and they claimed that the Gibeonites were traitors. They were traitors for the Amorites. And they went to attack the Gibeonites. Five Amorite kings joined together. The king of Jerusalem, famous. The king of Hebron, famous. The king of Yarmut, king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. They joined together and they encamped at Gibeon. 
which is where the Gibbonites were from, to make a war on Gibbon because Gibbon had made a treaty with Israel and Gibbon sends quickly men to Yeshua, please come help us, save us. You made a treaty with us, save us from the Amorites. And Yeshua has to go and all his army goes with him, all the mighty warriors. Hashem says to Yeshua, don't worry, I'm going to save you. Oh, Hashem, don't worry, I'm going to save you. I'm going to deliver them into your hands. And Yeshua came suddenly upon them. He had walked all night and he attacked them. And Hashem delivered them, uh, Israel, from the Amorites. And here's the famous, one of the most beautiful lines of Tanakh. It's a line that I'm trying to remember and uh, memorize. This is Yeshua praying. Here yeah, he's, he's fighting a war. Can you imagine? And now the sun is setting. And when the sun sets, you can't fight a war. It's, uh, you can't see. In those days, there's no, there's no night uh, vision cameras, no night vision goggles. <laughs> so he's fighting a war at night. The sun is setting. What does he do? He prays to God. And he says, Shemesh begivon dom Hashem, stop the sun. Make the sun stand still in Gibbon and the moon in the valley of Ayalon. It's interesting. Ayalon is near Beit Shemesh, the valley of Ayalon. That's also where David fought Goliath. So it's uh, just before you go to Beit Shemesh, you shine the valley of Ayalon. So interesting. So uh, the sun stands still. Miracle, tremendous miracle. I think it's a bigger miracle than crossing the Jordan because crossing the Jordan was something physical that maybe, you know, who knows what, the river split somehow. But here the sun stands still. It says five hours, I think it was. The sun was delayed in setting that day. So interesting. So Yeshua wins that war of Gibbon. And it's interesting because in this week's parasha, also in Lech Lecha, it mentions Malchi Tzedek, Melech Shalem, Malchitzerik, the king of Shalem, and Rashi says he was the king of Yerushalayim. Malchitzerik, the king of righteousness, was the king of Salem, which is Yerushalayim, first original name of Yerushalayim. And he was no other, Rashi says, than Shem, the son of Noah. So Shem, the son of Noah, was the king of Yerushalayim. And eventually Yerushalayim gets conquered by the Amorites and taken from Shem and his descendants. And uh, here we are. Beautiful Baruch Hashem that uh, Yeshua beats the king of Yerushalayim, one of the five kings that he beat that day in Gibbon. Anyway, so from, from Gibbon, he goes up. And now there's another bunch of kings uh, who make a peace treaty among themselves to fight Yeshua. And uh, the, the book of Joshua tells us in chapter 11, all the kings gathered together. And many people, as numerous as the sand of the seashore, tremendous army, tremendous army. They went out there in all their camps, and very many horses and chariots, and they came and camped at the waters of Merom to wage war with Israel. Now, this is, you know, it's interesting. Instead of the Jews going to fight the enemies, the enemies came to fight them, which was a blessing in disguise, right? They didn't have to go out of their way, they didn't have to walk far. These enemies are coming to them. Hashem is sending all the enemies to them. And Hashem says to Yeshua, boy, look at this. I wish we get these promises. Hashem gives us the promises. Hashem says to Yeshua, don't be scared of them. Tomorrow, this time, they're all going to be yours. You're going to conquer them all tomorrow. And uh, Yeshua fought them and struck them and pursued them all the way. 
the Valley of Mitzvah. Tremendous victory again of Yeshua and uh, Yeshua's conquering the land, conquers the entire land, the mountain, the entire south, the entire land of Goshen and the lowland at Araban, Mount Israel and its lowland. He conquers everything and he waged war with all the kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except for the Hivite inhabitants of Givon. That was the only one that made peace. Now, if they were smart, they would make peace. But they weren't smart enough and they made war. Hashem put in their minds to fight us so that we would be victorious. As Radashem all the time, we should always be victorious. And Yoshua goes and conquers Hebron and the mountains of Judah, all the mountains of Israel. And no Anakim. Now, that's interesting, this idea of Anakim. What are the Anakim? The rabbi says Anakim were the giants. These are giants who lived in, in Hebron. You find this week's parasha also kind of giant who uh, escaped a palit, came to tell Abraham about how Lot was taken captive by the four kings in this week's parasha. And Rashi says this, this guy who came back was Og Melech Habashan, who became eventually Og Melech Habashan, was a giant who survived even the flood. Amazing. It says he hung on to the Ark of Noah. Now, I don't know, but this is where these people came from. The Anakim, it says, were in Hebron. And Kiryat Arba is named after them, Kiryat Arba. The Rashi over there, and uh, so here Yoshua is the one who knocks them off, bumps them off. Baruch Hashem, no more giants anymore since that time. And then it says, um, the land rested from war, and and then the, there's a big list in chapter 12 of Joshua of the 31 kings that Joshua conquered. 31 kings, and then in chapter 13, very similar to the story of Moshe Rabbeinu. Yoshua Zaken Babiami. Yoshua was old, well on in years. And Hashem says to Yoshua, You have grown old, and there's a lot more land to be conquered. And you have to go and make sure it's conquered. It's a, and there's a list over here of all the land that was not conquered yet. And uh, and then you can now, in the meantime, you can divide the land as a heritage. For the nine and a half tribes that are left on the west bank of the of the west bank of the Jordan, so two and a half tribes are on the east bank of the Jordan, nine and a half tribes on the west bank of the Jordan. Now you can start dividing up the land uh, among those uh, nine and a half tribes. Okay, so uh, so here we have a list. Moshe Rabbeinu gave two and a half uh, tribes the, the land on the east side of the Jordan, um, Gad. Ruven and half of Menashe. And now here there's a list on chapter 14 of Joshua that uh, was divided up on, among the other tribes. And it was divided through a lottery. Goral. Goral is a lottery that Hashem is the one who is that allocated the land. So the land was allocated to God. There was a lottery and uh, each tribe put their name in, in, in one cup and the areas of Israel were in the other cup. And the land was allocated according to lottery. So very, very interesting. It's, it's like Hashem is giving the land. It's not, it's not Yoshua allocating the land. The land is allocated by the Boral, which is Hashem. Uh, in the meantime, there were certain areas of the land which were not conquered. And so what happened is that people start complaining. People complain, you know, there's not enough land to uh, go and uh, divide up. And so what happened is, 
certain tribes came. And before that, let's go to the story of Othniel. Othniel ben Kenaz. We're going to talk about him next week. Bejrat Hashem, the other, he was one of the first judges after Yoshua, Othniel ben Kenaz, who was a half-brother to Kalev ben Yifuneh. So what was Yifuneh dies, and he had one son, Kalev, and his wife marries Kenaz, the wife of um, Kalev ben Yifuneh's father, Yifuneh. Uh, dies, Yifuneh dies, he marries and uh, Kenaz marries the wife of uh, Yifuneh and he has a child and that child is Yoshua's half-brother called Othniel ben Kenaz who is also a very big judge we're going to talk about it next week and he conquered the city of Kiryat Sefer which today is a thriving city <laughs> of, of very religious people which uh, they, they built uh, I don't know, it wasn't very long ago, 15 years ago, and it's a big city already, 15, 20 years ago. It's a beautiful city. So Kiryat Sefer was conquered by Othniel the Kanaz, and uh, Kaleb ben Yifuneh was given Hebron. So if you go to Hebron, you got to know it was the inheritance of Kaleb ben Yifuneh, and Hebron eventually becomes the capital city of David Amelech, because David Amelech was from the tribe of Judah. Judah is in the south of Israel. Uh, Yushalayim, Hebron, all the south of Israel, Beersheba, that's the portion of Yehuda. And the capital city of Yehuda was Hebron until David conquers Yushalayim. And eventually Yushalayim becomes the capital city of Yehuda. And not just Yehuda, but all the tribes. When David becomes the king of all the tribes, Yushalayim becomes the capital city of all the tribes. But, but prior to that, Hebron was the capital city of Judah. So uh, interesting. So the lot was cast. And what happens is, the children of Joseph speak to Yoshua, they complain, our portion is too small, right? Why don't you give us the biggest portion? And Yoshua says, why didn't you conquer your portion? You have tremendous amounts of land. You just didn't conquer it. So go and conquer it. Get your tribes together and go and conquer it. And then all the Jews come, says Vayikahalu, we're in chapter 18, all the Jews come to Shiloh. Now it's interesting, Shiloh, and there they built the sanctuary of God. So we find in the desert there was a Mishkan, this portable sanctuary, which eventually ended up in Gilgal, which is the first area which they crossed. That's where they set up the sanctuary. And then they set up the sanctuary in Shiloh. Shiloh, today, if you go to Shiloh, there's an archaeological dig where they found the actual walls of the Mishkan where they built this Mishkan. Now, it wasn't the, the original Mishkan of uh, Moshe Rabbeinu's Mishkan. It wasn't the portable Mishkan. They actually built walls. They built a building. The only difference was the roof was the same roof. It was covered with the skins that Moshe Rabbeinu had made. But the actual Mishkan was portable, was put apart, taken apart, and stored. Eventually, it was stored under the Beit HaMikdash. It was stored in one of the storerooms of the Beit HaMikdash. And it's probably still there today. If we can only find it. Maybe they found it. They're not telling anyone. And it's there somewhere under the Beit HaMikdash. There's 32 rooms. They took a ultrasound under the ground of the Temple Mount. And there's 32 big rooms, storage rooms, under the Temple Mount, which have not been, or if they have been, no one's telling us about it, haven't been examined yet. We're not allowed to go there. No Jews are allowed to go there. The Muslims are very uh, strict about that. There'll be riots if they go there. And therefore, the underground rooms have not been, as far as we know, discovered or investigated. So there are rooms underneath the Temple Mount. And we think the Mishkan is buried over there as well. 
It's, uh, however, the Jews now are not using the Mishkan anymore. They're building an actual building, the first building, um, actual, it's not a Benamikdash, but it's a quasi-solid structure uh, built as not a portable Mishkan anymore. It's an actual building in Shiloh, which is going to act as the Beit HaMikdash. Amazing. It's going to act like a Beit HaMikdash. And Shiloh today is now a Yishuv in the West Bank, Baruch Hashem. And over there, there's an archaeological dig where they actually found the walls. They dug up the walls. You can go and visit the walls of the Mishkan that Joshua and the people built in Shiloh after they had divided up the land of Israel. So Shiloh lasted for hundreds of years till the first temple was built by Solomon. So hundreds of years, about 400 odd years, Shiloh, um, that was the Mishkan in Shiloh, that's where uh, uh, Ruth, the time of Ruth, the time of uh, uh, Shmuel's mother, she went to pray over there. Hannah was the Mishkan of Shiloh, and the high priest was Eli. It's all take, all these stories took place in the Mishkan of Shiloh, which the book of Joshua tells in chapter 18. By in Israel, Shiloh. All the Jews gathered in Shiloh, and they built over there a tent of meeting. That was the classic name and the Kumash for Mishkan. They built a new oil moed over there. It wasn't the old Mishkan. It's a solid building today. You don't see. And, um, and seven tribes still did not inherit the land yet. So the land of Israel being conquered, but there was left among the children of Israel seven tribes that not yet received the heritage. So Yoshua says, why didn't you conquer your heritage? You have to conquer your heritage. So what happens is three men from each tribe, there's 21 men, they're going to go and they are going to go and see which portions they want. They're going to go and examine the land and we're going to split the rest of the land, which was not conquered, into seven parts and each one will get their portions. So uh, and they cast lottery, they came back, they cast lottery and then they split for seven more tribes. Okay, very good. And then if you look at uh, the chapter 19, it tells you exactly what the borders of all the tribes were. And then now you find there's another mitzvah of cities of refuge that the Torah tells us to make six cities of refuge in Israel. And uh, three were on the east side of the Jordan, which Moshe Rabbein already set up. Now they're going to set up three more on the west side of the Jordan. And here they are. They tell you that it's in chapter 20. Kadesh, Shechem, and Kiryat Arba. Uh, three cities of uh, which were uh, set aside as, the, as cities of refuge. Kadesh in the Galilee, in the mountains of Natali, Shechem, which we know today is Nablus, which is definitely full of murderers. Uh, Shechem was one of the uh, cities of refuge. And Kiryat Arba, which is Hebron, was also a city of refuge. And... Uh, and on the other side of the Jordan, on the east side of Jordan, it was Bezer, tribe of Reuben, Ramot and Gilad, from the tribe of Gad, and Golan and the Bashan from the tribe of Nashik. So Golan was also one of the cities of refuge. It was a city called Golan in the Golan, one of the cities of refuge. So six cities of refuge. It says when the Mashiach comes, there'll be another three. So nine cities of refuge in total. And now we come to the splitting of the Levitical cities. You know, and we know the Torah tells us the Levites are not allowed to have land. Why weren't they allowed to have land? They were meant to be the rabbis and the teachers of the people. And if they're busy plowing and planting, 
they won't teach and they won't travel and they won't go and they won't judge and they won't teach the Jewish people. So they were like, like a nomadic tribe. They would go around um, and they would get paid by getting masrot. Masrot is one-tenth, the tithe from all the crops. One-tenth of, of all the crops would have to be given to the Levites. So they would be supported by the people and they would act as the teachers and the judges of the people. We find Shmuel Hanavi was a Levite, a Levite. He was a judge of the people. So interesting. So Levites. So now the Levites not allowed to have land as agricultural land, but they do get cities. And they asked, they asked Yoshua now to fill this mitzvah. They actually went to Elazar Kohen, who was the chief Kohen, high priest, the son of Aaron, who was the high priest after Aaron. And they went to Yoshua and they said, in Shiloh, they said, Hashem commanded through Moshe to give us cities which we to dwell and open areas around it for our animals. So the children of Israel gave the Levites from the heritages, according to the word of Hashem, those cities and their open spaces. Again, it was uh, done by lottery, and every tribe had a certain amount of cities. Altogether, there were 48 Levitical cities scattered all through the land of Israel. So the Levites were scattered all through. They had to be scattered. They were the rabbis and teachers of the Jewish people. And uh, they were scattered all over the Jewish people. They would go from place to place. And you would give your tithes to the Levite who fulfilled your needs. Whereas if the Levite would come and teach you and your children, that's the guy you would give your tithes to. You could choose whoever you want to give your tithes to. So in other words, he couldn't come and say, give me your tithes. Said, no, I'll go and give it to someone else. I'll give it to another Levite who's uh, friendlier. And uh, he came to teach my kids. He taught me. He told my kids bar mitzvah, that's the Levite I'm going to choose to give my, my tithes to. So the Levites got tithes based on the service they provide to the rest of the people. And that's the splitting of the land. And then Yoshua in chapter 22 summons Reuben and God and half the tribe of Asher. And he says, you've, you've fulfilled your obligations, you have fought for the Jewish people, and now you can go back to your tents. You can go back home. You go back across the Jordan, go back to the east side of the Jordan, and go back to your homes over there. So now what happens is when they go back, it says they built an altar. They built an altar. When they went back, they built an altar. The two and a half tribes in the east, they built an altar, and the other tribes are now scared that they're building an altar, which is not part of the Shiloh, not part of the, the national home for Hashem, which is in Shiloh, maybe they're going to break off, maybe they're going to start worshipping idols. And so they sent messengers to uh, the two and a half tribes on the east, and the two and a half tribes said, no, it's not treachery, we believe in Hashem. We built this altar to Hashem so that our children will always fear Hashem. Okay, there's okay. So uh, we we didn't build this altar to rebel against Hashem. We built this altar for Hashem. So when Pinchas, the Kohen, and the leaders of the assembly and the heads of the thousand Israel heard the words, it was good in their eyes, and he said, and they said, today we know Hashem is in our midst, since you did not commit this treachery against Hashem. Now you have saved the children of Israel from the hand of Hashem. Baruch Hashem. The two and a half tribes did not rebel. They were part of the covenant. 
Okay, now we come to chapter 23, and we have the farewell of Yahushua. So many days after Hashem had given rest to Israel from all their enemies, and Yahushua was old, went on in years, it says he was 110 years old when he died. Moshe was 120, he was 110. And he tells the Jewish people, he says, you have seen all the miracles Hashem has done for you, and he fought for you. I've given the territories to all the remaining tribes, from the Great Sea to the River Jordan, and strengthen yourselves very much. Again, the similar language again, over and over again. Strengthen yourself. And strengthen yourselves to fulfill what's written in the Sefer Torah and Moshe. Don't turn away from it to the right or to the left. Stick to, cling to Hashem. Just like you have done till today. And Hashem will give you all these mighty nations. No one can stand against you. One of you will, will chase after a thousand. That's the bracha and parasha kitavo. One of you will chase after a thousand. Because Hashem will fight for you just like he spoke to you. And you'll guard yourselves very carefully to, to love Hashem. And you would uh, cling to Hashem. But if you go the other way, then all the curses will come from you. He says, I'm going to pass away just like the way of the world. You know with all your heart, all your soul, not one of the things that Hashem has promised you has fallen short. All have come about for you. Not one of it has fallen short. Okay. So these are beautiful words. If you look at chapter 23, and chapter 24, again, he assembles the whole house of Israel and he tells them the story which we read every year in the Haggadah, in chapter 24 of the book of Joshua. And this I just want to read it to you very quickly. This is a part of the Haggadah which we have from the book of Joshua. He gives back, Joshua goes back to the history that Hashem gave the land to Abraham, which we see in this week's parasha. This is again at the end of Joshua, it's a tie in to the parasha of the week, parasha Lech Lecha. And uh, he just goes back to the story. It's very interesting history about Moshe and Aaron. I played Egypt, gave them plagues, and I brought you out from Egypt. You're right with the sea, the crossing of the sea. The sea split, and I brought you out, and I brought you to the land of Israel, and you inherited the land of Israel. It's a beautiful, um, and it's all full of, of Yerachimon. Yeshua is full of trying to transform the Jewish people to a nation of God so that they will never rebel. And he tells them, now it's interesting because he ends off, look at the ends off. By Yomru, Ha'am. Uh, and he tells them, Remove all the idols in your midst. So we see already that in time of Joshua, idolatry had already crept in to the people of Israel and listened to the God of Israel. And people answered, Yeshua, and they said, We shall serve Hashem and we shall heed his voice. And they make a covenant to, to, uh, with Yeshua that they're going to serve Hashem. And Yeshua, son of uh, Benun, the servant of Hashem is also called the servant of Hashem, just like Moshe. Beyond Yeshua Benun Evan Hashem Ben Mea Vesishanim, he died at the age of 110. They, built, they buried him in a place called Timnat Serah. Today there is a mausoleum over there. There is a, a place actually in a, in a small Arab village. 
and they say he's buried over there. He's buried also with his father, as a tradition, and he's also buried with Kalev ben Yifune. So quickly, I want to go through, that's the end of the book of Joshua. I want to go through very quickly some of the parallels between the story of Moshe and Yoshua. So number one is Yoshua sends spies to spy out the land of Jericho, just like Moshe spent spies to spy out the land of Israel. So that's number one. Number two, Joshua leads the Israelites out of the wilderness into the promised land, crossing the river Jordan on dry land. It's a miracle. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu led the Jews out of Egypt through the Red Sea, which they crossed on dry land. Amazing. So the second parallel, the crossing of the Jordan, crossing of the sea. Number three, after crossing the Jordan, the Israelites celebrate Pesach, just like they did immediately before the Exodus. So there's two uh, parallels over here. The parallel of leaving Egypt is like going into Israel and the, and the uh, Paschal Lamb, the or celebration of the Pesach, is like the celebration of Pesach when they went into Israel. Number four, Yeshua has a vision of the command of Hashem's army, right at the beginning of the conquest of Israel. It's similar to the vision that Moshe Rabbeinu had at the burning bush. Number five, Yoshua intervenes on behalf of Israel when Hashem is angry for the failure to observe the ban on the property from Jericho. And Hashem wanted to punish the people, and Yoshua prays on their behalf, just like Moshe Rabbeinu prayed on their behalf many times to save them from Hashem's anger at the golden calf, at the spies, etc. Number six, Yoshua and the Israelites were able to defeat the people at Ai. Because Yoshua fulfills the divine command, it says, when he's, when he's ready to fight, put up your sword. So Yoshua puts up his sword, says as long as Yoshua's sword was up, the Jewish people were victorious. And this is exactly similar to the case of Moshe Rabbeinu fighting Amalek. He goes up to the mountain, he puts his hand up. And as, as soon as his hands were up and all the Jews were looking at his hands, they were victorious in their fight with Amalek. Number seven. It says the same language. Yeshua was old, advanced in years. Uh, the time when the Israelites can begin to settle on the promised land, just like Moshe was old when he died, having seen but not entered the promised land. So Yeshua and Moshe both fulfilled their mission being very old. Number eight, Yeshua served as the mediator of the renewed covenant between Hashem and Israel, just like Moshe was the mediator of Hashem's covenant between the people and Mount Sinai. Number nine, before his death, Yoshua delivered a farewell address to the Israelites, just like Moshe delivered a farewell address at the end of Devarim to the Jewish people before he died. Number 10, Moshe lived to 120, and Yoshua, not, not far behind, lived to 110. So very, a lot of similarities uh, between the two. Uh, according to our tradition, Yoshua died on Kafvav Nisan, 26th of Nisan, after Pesach, he died. And his uh, burial place, we said, is in a, our village. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.